church was a new church. It took three weeks to establish. The Apostle Paul visited it for three weeks, and out of that a church grew. He was ran out of town on a rail, really, and chased down to Berea. So this is a church that didn't have a lot of teaching, but what they had was really good. And they got the main point. Faith, hope, and love is how you measure a church. And so we've gone through and looked at that, actually, at each book of the New Testament, how it's been used, and you'll find out that based on what the author does about his use of that, whether he commends them or he says that, hey, you need to get it, whether he does that, that tells us a lot about a church, and it tells us a lot about what's important. Today we live in a society that so many things are important, so many other than faith, hope, and love. They talk about it, but what's more important are building programs and attendance records and, and all those other things that go along with it. But faith, hope, and love expressed is what's really important. Now, out of that, I want to take a look today at principles of worship. Because faith, hope, and love is basically our foundation. It's a picture of a model church. How does this flow over into worship? Now, before we begin, it is always begin, it's our custom always to take a few moments for silent prayer. Uh, I don't know if anybody's had any tests or problems this week, but uh, it's not the time to think about them while we're here. It's time to think about what God's Word has to say because He is the encouragement encourager. He is the one that cares. He's the one that sent His Son to take our place on a cross. That's, that's who our God is. And so by faith in Him, by faith in Him alone, that He died for our sins, was buried, He rose again on the third day, that's what secures our salvation. It's not our works. It's not saved by works. We're saved by grace and through faith. So it is an opportunity to clear our minds of all the events of the world, all the politics going on, all the wars and rumors of wars going on, everything else, and just say, all right, Lord, let's hear from your word about what you have to say. So let's take this moment for prayer to prepare ourselves spiritually, mentally to, to study the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we do indeed find your grace amazing that you uh, would save a wretch like us. How deep is your love? Father, I feel like we're going to spend eternity finding out just how great indeed your love is. So, Father, I pray this morning, I pray we would get a touch of it because we're supposed to honor you with faith, walk in hope and love. And, Father, please show us to a greater degree how to go about doing this. Father, we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the principles of worship that we put together here, this is not on the screen. Still not on the screen. We'll figure this out one of these days, folks. Ta-da. There we are. Okay. <laughs> We are created to worship. When you stop and think about it, we are. But when uh, Christians think about biblical worship, their thoughts often turn to various styles of music. And that's, that's where they limit it. Uh, as we're going to see going through this study, this is a very small part of biblical worship. When uh, the function is far more important than the form. Now, the function says this is what we should do. The form is how we go about doing it. Now obviously we should do the right things in the right way as we do it. But in the Old Testament they said you're going to come up to, to uh, the tabernacle three times a year. You're going to participate in the feast. When you offer up a sacrifice it's going to be exactly this way. You're going to celebrate the feast times. You're going you're gonna to enjoy them. This is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to clean the bull. This is how you're going to clean the, the lamb. This is exactly how you, These were forms of worship that were specified. But when the law was done away with, there was an important reason for that. The functions are still the same. See, the function of the priesthood under Abraham and Job was the same. 
They offered sacrifices. They lifted up praise to God and they taught. That's what priests did. When it was handed off to Moses and the line of Levi, Levi and the tribe of Levi, what was their role? They had form specified. This is how you do it. This is where you get the fire from. This is how you start the fire. This is what you do with the ashes. This is how you dispose of the ashes. Those were all forms. But what was their main function? Sacrifice, praise, and teaching. That's what, the, that's what they did. Now we, as the church, are royal priests to God. It's a universal priesthood. It's not of a genetic line, not of a genetic tribe. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of the adopted family of God. And Jesus Christ is your brother, and he is the great high priest on heaven's throne, as we are told. So he says, okay, what, what does he want us to do? Offer up a sacrifice of praise. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to present our bodies a living, holy sacrifice. We don't bring animals anymore. We bring us. And it's a whole different priesthood that is, that is going on. So we are, do not have any forms specified in the New Testament. We are told to have, we've got two rituals. We don't have all those others. We have water baptism and we have the Lord's table. And we're told to do those, but we're not told specifically how to do it. We've been studying the tabernacle, and the Lord told Moses, see that you do this exactly like I told you on the mountain. Okay, that's about a form. I want these boards 10 cubits long, 15 cubits. I want them acacia wood. I want them totally overlaid with gold. I want the ones around the back part set in silver, which is a picture of redemption. I want you to make them this way. When you get ready to transport them, he's going to tell them, transport them this way. When you drop the, the curtains, you drop it and you cover up certain things with the curtains in a certain way and do that. That is all a sign of obedience and respect and is a form of worship. But no specific form is, is specified for the church. Now the Lord's table we celebrated about once a month and some people do it every Sunday. That's fine. They, you know, the disciples did it but they didn't command it. They, they set an example, and that's, that's fine that some people do that. No argument with that. Some people pass out the bread and the cup at uh, the same time. Some people pass out the bread and all partake like we do, and then we pass out the cup and all partake like we do, and that's fine too. Some people, the, the deacons walk around and they serve everybody, and they partake of the bread and the cup right then and replace the cup back in the server, whatever. There's, but nobody's right or wrong on that. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me, is what he said. And so by doing this, what, the, what uh, happened is that no specific form of worship is specified for the church. So there's clearly a freedom of expression for where there is no law, there's no sin. There's my verses, Romans 4.15 and 5.13. If you don't have a commandment, if you don't have a prescription, and there's a difference between a prescription and a description. See, some things are described like church government. None are prescribed like which specific form. The same way goes on goes on here. And Romans 4.15, 5.13, where there is no law, there is no sin. So we have the freedom to do that. Many believe, I'm one of them, that believe this is so the whole world can be reached with the principles of Christianity instead of the forms of religion. Religion, see, has to take its forms in. It has to take in its rituals. It has to take in its sacrifices. It has to take in certain songs and forms of worship that way. It has to take all of that, but Christianity can go anywhere. Because we can carry out the function in a variety of forms. As we talk to missionaries, and I've talked to a lot of them, it's amazing some of the things that they have discovered when they are uh, out and about. And when they, are, when they run into people, some of the different forms. And they can go in and adapt. They can find out things that are going on in their culture and make the adaptation to them. And they can teach the principles of Christianity without compromising them using whatever form is available. Music is one of the primary things. When you go to Africa, you better be ready to dance. 
when you go to Africa, you better be ready to, to get involved. Uh, when you go to India, the same thing too. I had the first time I went there, I had to bow out. I faked a heart attack because they were killing me. With the the I don't know exactly what they called it, but they were they were indeed praising the Lord, and I wasn't going to say that's not the way we do it in the United States. I'm not going to pull one of those stunts. So I tried to join in, and about ten minutes into the hop, skip, and jumping stuff, I just said I can't do any more of this this stuff, and they all laughed and said that's fine, <laughs> and so we went from there. But you can take in the the forms. Uh, you can take in the function of worship without imposing a form. Now, a lot of people, a lot of missionaries went in early on in um, the 1800s and everything, and they're going to get the natives to put on clothes. Okay, you've got to start wearing clothes in a certain way. And the dress modestly is cultural. It's, what, it's cultural. Some places it's... Uh, Totally part of their culture. The women don't wear any tops. The men just wear barely wear bottoms. And that's the way the thing is. And it's still going on in some places. Nagaland up on the uh, northwest part of Burma is one of those places. It's going. When you go in there, um, every one of you has more clothes on now than those people own. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. So you don't go in there and try to get them all clothed. Until you get them clothed with Christ. Amen. See, that's what you do. You go in with the message of the gospel. And then help them grow. And growth doesn't necessarily mean putting on the, on the clothes. Now, many believe the whole world can be reached this way. Worship is indeed a sacrifice of self to adore another. See, what kind of sacrifice are you offering? What do, we, what do we celebrate and what do we worship in the last days? Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, unholy, ungrateful, disobedient to parents, and another 15 things that are in there. So <clears throat> Hebrews 13, though, is our picture of the function of a royal priest. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice a praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. See that's the function of the priesthood. Don't neglect doing good and sharing. See the poor you have with you always. But he said Jesus said you can always do good for them. But you have to keep worship in its right place. In its right perspective the more we are able to set ourselves aside the better we can truly worship and that's the way it is finally you know we look in the mirror and go you beautiful thing you don't you ever die or we look in the mirror and go you hopeless thing you hope you finally get it <laughs> how do we look into the how do we look into the mirror the, the humility is what is important with God, not the, the arrogance that goes with it. But Philippians 2.1, if you want to turn there with me, this passage is always great to spend a little time on. Philippians 2.1. It says, if therefore there's any encouragement in Christ. You see the if that's there, they translated it if. In the Greek, there are four different ifs. This is what's called the first class condition. If it's true and it is. I prefer to translate these since there is encouragement in Christ. Same thing with these others. These other ifs are first class conditions. Since there is consolation of love. Since there is fellowship of the Spirit. Since there is affection and compassion. And Paul writes, make my joy complete by being in the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And see verse 3 that gets so often overlooked? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each one regard your another as more important than yourself. But do not merely look out for 
your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, see, this brings the balance back to it. Caregivers got to take care of themselves, or they won't be able to care for anybody else. We do have a proper balance of doing what is right to keep our body and soul healthy, wealthy, and wise. We've got to we've got to do those things. That's that's respectable. But he says, consider other people more important. Now that's not natural. That's not natural. I've run into a couple of people. Uh, well, look, just look at little kids. They have to be taught about that. Some of them are nicer than other little kids are, but most of them, whenever the candy bar breaks in half, share that with your sister. And invariably, one size is bigger than the other. Which one is offered? You get, you see? <laughs> now, some of them learn real quick. Their coping mechanism is they offer that to their sister, and then they play their sister because she'll say, no, you have the bigger piece because they found out that that would do. That's just a coping mechanism. That's not true love. That's not what it's all about. It can develop into that, and that's what we... That's what we want to find. He says, have this attitude in yourselves is also in Christ Jesus. And I love that verse. Because verses 6 to 8 can cause more theological arguments than you can stake a stick at. There have been volumes of books written on these, these next few verses. But the point of the writing is develop an attitude like Christ. That's the point of this thing. Because what he's going to introduce is what is called theologically the doctrine of kenosis. The doctrine of the emptying out of Christ for himself. Setting aside his divine attributes and not calling on them while he walked around on, on this earth. So he says, have this attitude. You're emptying yourself. You're focused on another. You consider other people more important. Who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to at all cost. The word form there, interesting words. Morphe is the Greek. It's only used two times in the Greek, in the Greek New Testament. And it's a word that means the outer expression of what's really inside. That's a form. Form of God means that he is God from the inside out. That's what it means. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be up, but he but he emptied himself, taking on the form, morphe, the other use, of a bondservant. Who was Jesus from the inside out? He was a bondservant. He came here to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. That's who Jesus was from the inside out. It wasn't any phoniness about it. It wasn't any fake love. There wasn't any of that stuff. This is real. He says, being made in the likeness of men. See, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Glory is the only begotten. He was in our likeness. As he walked around on the earth, Isaiah 53, he had no stately form or majesty that we should behold him, that he should draw people to himself. He was not the, the uh, gentleman's quarterly uh, cover guy. That's not who he was. He was a, a Jew. He was a Jew, probably 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, That's about how tall they were back then. Probably black-headed, olive-complected. <coughs> that's, who, that's who he was. And it says that he really had nothing to draw him to his attractiveness. The only thing that drew people to Jesus was his message. And that's where the crowds came from. They weren't coming to see the most handsome man on the planet with, a, with an aura around his head that just kind of spun around. They weren't coming to see that. It, that's not the way it was. And he says, And having been found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now see, death on a cross, anybody in the ancient world knew what that was. Because that was the worst, called the worst form of capital punishment ever designed by men. Without question. Oftentimes they didn't meet it, did not make it through the floggings that took place before they ended up on a cross to begin with. Therefore God 
also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. In Jesus' humanity, he faced the cross. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the more we can set ourselves aside like Jesus could, the more we can truly come before the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Worship is designed from the old English word worthship. That's where it came from. And it denotes the value that one ascribes to a person or object. So you can find the word worship, which is used almost 200 times across the scriptures. There's also other words and other ways to describe worship. You can find it of, of an adoration of a person or an object because people worship idols, things made of stone and wood. They worship those things. So the question is, is the object truly worthy of worship? Now we know about faith. Faith is not about what I can believe. It's about what I believe in. So if I truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's faith, then I can truly worship. I can truly come in front of the throne. If I have this hope set forth about eternity, eternal life, though whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will possess eternal life. Huh. It's nice to know if we got it or we don't. It certainly is. And then we can truly worship. That's a hope for the, for the ever, ever after. And then what about love? We, can, we know that his love is what motivated us to believe. So <clears throat> very, there are various vocabulary words for worship. These are words that when you start doing a start trying to track down the topic throughout different parts of Scripture. These are things that we look for. In the, and this is just New Testament words. Okay, This is just the New Testament words we're looking for. Uh, the Well, let's go back up here. Um, the, uh, the first one, proskaneo. Kaneo means to kiss. I, I love to watch, see the way the words are put together. They call it etymology. I used to call it entomology a long time ago, and that was the study of bugs until I got corrected. <laughs> no N, A-E-T-Y, etymology. And whenever you study this, you find out, and in, in seminary, you spend a lot of time on word formation. How did the words come together? What did they mean when they came together? Kaneo means to kiss, and pros means the face. So literally, the word that's translated worship means to kiss the face of. So it means you have come into contact. This is a verb form. It's used 60 times. Proskunetes is a noun form, and it's one who kisses the face of. It's only used once. means a worshiper. That's the way it should be translated. Then we have eusebeo. This word means devoted well. Sebeo is a word that... that points out devotion to an object and you is on the front of any of the Greek words means good or well. So to be well devoted because some people are devoted not well. <laughs> okay, You put uh, the paneros word on it or kakos word on it they're devoted to the wrong thing to evil of some kind. This says devoted well. Eusebia is a noun and it's one who is well devoted. And eusebase is a, a devotee. Eusebi is a, a masculine noun. I know this just thrills the fire out of all of you here. But this is a masculine noun, one who's devoted well and usually indicates the active part of it. Eusebase is a devotee. It's the feminine noun. and usually indicates a response, a response to the greatness of God. See, if we're truly a bondservant, that means we're a bondservant because of the greatness of the Master. And if we become devoted, we have become devoted because of the greatness of the Master. These words interconnect in just beautiful ways. Then we find a third word group is sebo, and it stresses the feelings of awe and devotion. You can see the 
the the B under B there, Eusebio, and you take that EU off of the front of those, Eusebio, this is the word by itself that occurs without the, the well or good on the front of it. Sebo, that's the verb form, sabasma, is an object of devotion. That's used twice. Now, when you put an M-A ending on the end of a Greek word, again, I know it thrills y'all, it, it means that it's a result of something. So there's a result, a sabasma is an object devoted of devotion. It's a result of this devotion. And sabazomai is a interesting word because uh, when you get the DZOs into the verb forms what <coughs> what you find is causation so it's one who's caused to worship okay? and that could be from <coughs> from an outside force one has chosen to worship <coughs> and they're responding now Latruo <coughs> it's a beautiful word because all of these Latruo words, Latruo and Latria, have to do with the priesthood. These are priestly worship, the worshipful service of a priest. And we've seen that happen with the Levitical priest, the Mosaic law, with the family priesthood, with Job and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We've seen the family priesthood at uh, uh, represented before. And the Latria is the priestly service to God. That's used five times. So if you connect these words together, we find that worship is contact with God, proskuneo, with an attitude of devotion, eusebeo, caused by awe, sebo, and expressed in priestly service, latruo. All these hooked together. They're different words separate emphasis but all of them come together to describe beautifully what worship is all about so when we come together and we sing how deep the father's love for us it should be a time of reflection it shouldn't just be well we got to get the words right or we got to get the notes right the lord said make a joyful noise we're coming together here to to express what we think about the father's love and so that's where the worship comes in. Because people can sing the words and not worship God. It's been done for centuries and millennia. People can play the tune, if you will. But they don't have the heart that goes along with it. Now, our responsibility is to contact Him. Okay? To, to come to His face so that we can worship Him. Now, this is pictured by the Magi. We see this first used in Matthew chapter 2 after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, Magi from the east arrived at Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Now see, they had an idea of what was going on. They said, We've come to worship here. In Matthew 2.10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. With great joy, they came into the house and saw the child and Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Kind of interesting, the three different things that they brought to the Lord at his birth. Gold is a picture of deity. Frankincense and myrrh frequently had to do with embalming. Why was he here? He came to die. How would they possibly know that? From the east. Uh, some say that it came from the gospel that was in the stars that had been taught correctly at one time and then got distorted throughout the centuries. But yeah, they could have known it. They did follow a star, didn't they? Contact with the resurrected Lord stimulates worship. Now what happens if he were to walk in the back door? First of all, I hope we'd all recognize him. If he did. He'd walk in the back door. What would happen? 
Matthew 28, 9 and 10. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. This is Matthew 28. This is the last chapter. What is it talking about? This is the resurrection. And he said, Mary and they, which is Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Levi, came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. It stimulates worship when you come face to face with the Lord. When you just, you know, you can set, clear your mind, and I'm not saying meditate or anything, but you just realize that we right now are in the presence of the Lord. You see, when you, can, when you do that, you can be humbled really fast. We run around through this life like he didn't even exist. But when you stop and think about it, sometimes we have to get out of town, so to speak, and get out in the the middle of nowhere and just stop and think about the awesome nature of the Almighty. You get out in the country where there's no city lights out there and look up at at the sky. It's humbling to even go there to know that the Almighty, that's His handiwork. That's what it's called. He put them there. It was the finger work of God is what the scripture calls it. To set the stars in their place. Even when we have doubts, we should worship him from the areas we believe. If there are places, things we don't know about, things we don't understand, then whatever we do understand him with, then that's what we need to worship him with. This is where you find a lot of common ground with a lot of uh, people. And it doesn't matter what denomination that they're from. Because <clears throat> these pastors in India we go to, like I say, we've got every <clears throat> denomination uh, that you can imagine. We've had some uh, priests over there in a recent graduation. Uh, Anglican priest, Church of South India priest. Episcopal priest. We've had priests from all different groups. Had uh, a guy show up at at our our missionary's house one time, and he said uh, he said I am Father so and so, and I know you have this book, and we have a, a Catholic seminary, and he told him where it was, and he says, could I get about a hundred of those? And our friend said, we don't believe the same. <laughs> he said, I know that. We don't have anything in our language, though. And this is the best thing we've seen. Is there any way we could get a hundred of those? Because we have students. And we will give all, all of them a book. And we will study from that. We will argue with it. We will fight with it. And we said, you're fine. You're welcome to do that. We only had 120 books in inventory at that moment in time. And he, I, he said, what should I do? I said, give them to him. <laughs> give them to him. Let him take, him take them back with him. Let him start teaching. We'll leave this in the hands of the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the way to do it. You present the truth. You can't make anybody believe anything. Nobody's really ever been argued into the kingdom. They've been loved into the kingdom. So you give them the books. Let them study for themselves. Matthew 28. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee. To the mountain which Jesus had designated. Now how in tune theologically were they. Right after the resurrection. About as in tune as they were before the resurrection. <laughs> okay. And they went. Which Jesus had designated. When they saw him. They worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Thomas, we know. Not little Thomas, but a bigger Thomas. Bigger version of Thomas. And Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. Even when you have doubts, worship him about what you know. Is he the creator of the universe? You convinced of that? Worship him for being the creator. Uh, 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We're to worship only the Lord our God. 
Worship only the Lord our God. Matthew 4.10. Matthew 4, Luke 4. This is the old devil at work. Jesus went out to fast. And he'd been fasting for 40 days. And the devil said, I got him where I want him. So he goes after him to tempt the Lord. And what did he say? He said, uh, all you have to do, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. All of them. Just fall down and worship me. Jesus said, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He even told Satan, worship the Lord your God. You can call yourself a God. You can do anything you want to. But the facts are the facts. And you're not and never will be. And so he's told him to get out of there. Mercy displayed. Have you ever seen mercy displayed on someone? Well, the Lord's displayed mercy on us. He says, come into the throne room to find grace and mercy in time of need. And it came about that as he was approaching Jericho, a a certain blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a multitude going by, he began to inquire what this might be. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. (laughs) But he kept crying all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he commanded that he be brought to him. And when he come near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight. He began following the Lord, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Mercy displayed is a call to worship. When you see the Lord inject himself in history and interact and provide a great deliverance, it's a call to worship. It's amazing how... Sometimes, uh, living in Oklahoma, we, of course, get tornado warnings from time to time. We have just celebrated several um, anniversaries of various things, like the May 3rd, 1999 tornado. Was it May 13th tornado? The May 20th tornado? And, you know, the, the meteorologists, they get a lot of praise and worship, don't they? But really, what got us through any of it? What got anybody through any of it? Just the mercy of the Almighty. You see, that's that's how we live, is by grace and mercy. This obviously excludes worshiping men or women. I guess we have to put that in there to make it make it fair anymore in the society in which we live. Uh, don't worship people. Okay, that's one way to say it. So if you don't like men in there, you can put people in there. That'll be just fine. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Oh, Peter showed up. Cornelius, what's going on in Acts chapter 10? Paul. (laughs) Scales fell off his eyes. He was taken to Cornelius, right? So Peter came in, but, but Peter raised him up saying, Stand up. I too am just a man. Now look at that. Peter with all of his wannabe stuff. He wanted to be the the greatest. The fearless leader and everything else. With all that he says. No, no, no. Get down on my feet. Don't get down on your knees and worship me. We had that one time happen in India. In 93 we were going to a baptismal service. And we are coming down off the mountain. To the creek. And. Men ran up to us. We were Americans because some of them think that the highest part of reincarnation is to become an American. Anyway, they ran up to us. One of them ran ran up, bowed down, and said, You are our gods. 
And I remembered that verse. That immediately popped into mind. And so I got immediately on my knees and grabbed him. And I said, you stand up. We are not. We are the wrong ones. Because in India, if they don't like the gods they have, they'll find another one. That's just the way they're taught. But don't people are not to be worshipped. And if we become an object of worship, we should stop it. This principle extends to all of creation. We're not to worship any part of creation. Because it is the created and not the creator. Hebrews 1.6 And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So even the angelic realm is called to worship Christ and Christ alone. Romans 1.24 and 25 Therefore God gave them over to the lust of the hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And Paul says, amen to that. That's a problem. So the extends to all creation. Worship should obviously include idols. Don't worship idols. Exclude idols, not include. In Acts chapter 17, Revelation 9.20 is... is um, these are pretty clear statements of fact. Revelation 9.20, the rest of mankind that were not killed by the plagues. This is Revelation 9. It's in the tribulation. We're dealing with the trumpet judgments is what's going on. Did not repent of the works of their hands. So as to not worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither hear, see, or walk. Why don't you? Why are you going to worship and pray to an idol? It can't hear you. It's kind of like arguing with a stoplight. It makes no sense whatsoever. You're going to talk to something that can't hear you and doesn't care. And the idol business is is something else. They did not repent of the murders or the sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. They were worshiping the wrong thing. And this is Revelation 9, part of what brought the tribulation on people. Now in Acts 17, if you want to go ahead and turn there quickly with me, Acts chapter 17 and verse verse 23. Acts 17, 23, this is... It was so true in the ancient world and it's still true in some countries today. If you start messing with idol business in in many countries, you're you're going to get in trouble. And you're going to get in trouble real fast from the people, from the government, from a lot of different places. Well, here's Paul. While I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an inscription, an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. I love this passage. I didn't understand it until about 10 years ago, and I've been studying a long time. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, that the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Don't worship church buildings. Neither is he served by human hands, as though he himself needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath in all things having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Now, what did, how did they get an idol to an unknown God? They were praying because they were in the middle of a famine. And they prayed to every Greek Roman God that they could find, and nobody answered their prayer. And they finally said, the great wise men, there must be a God we don't know about. So they offered up prayers to this unknown God. And guess who answered their prayers? This unknown God answered their prayers and they got rain. So they made this monument to an unknown God. And Paul says, I'm here to tell you who he is. (laughs) See, he used the culture. He walked in there and he says, you've got this. He said, this is the one that made the heavens and the earth. 
This is the one you are praying to. That they should seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God. We ought not to think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. An image formed by the art and the thought of man. That's one of the biggest problems. They're made by man. Saying God is the one who made all things. So how can you form a God who made all things? You can't, it's impossible. <clears throat> Therefore having overlooked the time of ignorance. God is now declaring to men. That all everywhere should repent. Because he's fixed the day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness. Through a man whom he has appointed. Having furnished proof to all men. By raising him from the dead. There are a lot of people died on a cross. Thousands as it is reported under the Roman Empire. Many. Only a, one of them walked away from a tomb. And that's fully documented. Those who worship Satan, they're going to eventually taste God's wrath. From Revelation 14, 9. Another angel, a third one, said with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand... He will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. He'll be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke rose of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus during the trib. If that mark of the beast comes out, don't take it. Are you going to die for it? Hopefully. That's a special blessing forever. Don't take it. Right now, all the technology needed to do that is in place. It's all in place. You know, the Lord's got a perfect time for everything. He's got an appointed time. And it was it was <laughs> it wasn't gonna be able to, to make any sense even a hundred years ago what can be done right now, but he's bringing it together. The Lord's righteousness will eventually cause all nations to worship him. His righteousness will do it. Revelation fifteen four. I don't know if anybody in here is getting tired of all the unrighteousness floating around this planet or not. But whenever they're, whenever the laws are just totally disregarded, when a constitution in the United States is totally disregarded, people don't care anything about it, those, those are problems indeed. But worse yet, how about the laws of God? When people don't even care. Well, I don't care what God's book says. I care what I think. And we push that, that book aside. The Lord's righteousness, Revelation 15:4. This is one of the passages that is um, it's in a little bitty chapter. Revelation 15 is a little bitty small chapter. It's easy to, to slide by in your jaunt through the Bible. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? This is the... Chapter 14, the tribulational martyrs were there in the presence of the Lord. Okay? Human beings. And it's talking about salvation. And it says, For you alone are holy. Now the word holy there is not the normal word. This is a word, hasios, and it means experientially holy. Experientially holy. Adam was created that way, but he fell. All the rest of us are born in Adam, so we're not born perfect. All the rest of us are born in Adam. Only one, Jesus, was born perfect and lived it. Lived a perfect life. That is experiential holiness. And here is a heavenly chorus singing, You alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed so one day because of the righteousness of God it's all going to come to a close now mankind specifically told not to worship angels 
In spite of that, some of them do. They get some, you know, the Bible only gives the names of three angels. Lucifer is one of them. Gabriel and Michael. That's the only three names that we get. Yet somewhere there are people that come up with all kinds of other angels with names for angels. And some of them pray to, some people pray to them. And it says, don't do that. Why are you going to pray to an angel? Especially since we're made higher than they are. We're going to be, we're made lower to begin with, but we're going to be made higher. So why are we praying to an angel? Don't worship angels. Tenacity, if we hang on and obey these rules, there'll be a great reward for that. There'll be a great reward to not worship angels, not worship man, not worship things. And worshipful service should be a result of our salvation. It's kind of interesting how some people think, well, if I do all these things, if I just worship God, that's going to get me into heaven. Well, how are you going to worship God in spirit and truth? Because there's other qualifiers. How are you going to worship Him in spirit and truth if you don't know what the truth is? You have to worship in spirit. It's a spiritual function and truth. You have to know what the truth is in order to worship Him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. How deep the Father's love for us. If you know how deep it is, it says, who are we? How great the Father's love is that we should be called His children. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, <clears throat> this is kind of an introduction to worship. What is it? I know it's warm in here and hard to stay awake. But you guys have done a good job. We tried to adjust it. You step outside and get a good breath of air. Stick around for the picnic. Uh, it's always going to be fun. Um, uh, so anyway, let's pray. Father, it's a good day. We thank you for it. Thank you for your blessings, your tests. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your word that directs us how to worship. But Father, we know it's not a mechanical thing that we are called to do. But it is indeed spiritual. I pray we will learn how to worship you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.